President Putin of Russia has unleashed war in our European continent. He's attacked a friendly country and entirely innocent population. We have Ukrainian friends. Ukraine is a country that for decades has enjoyed freedom and democracy and the right to choose its own destiny. This is Ukraine and Beyond, your weekly conversation series where I, Emil, speak to people who I believe want a total Ukrainian victory just as much as I do. Enjoy the conversation. Slava Ukraini. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special episode. Let me get straight to it. As you can see in the title, I'm going to take a break from doing weekly episodes of Ukraine and beyond. The regular listeners and followers of the series will already have noticed that as of lately, I haven't done episodes on a weekly basis. I've I've always said that consistency is key. And when I started the series, the clear and stated ambition was to publish a weekly conversation with me speaking to someone relevant about the war in Ukraine and everything that goes beyond. To that regard, nothing has changed. Consistency is still key, and the aim is still to publish a relevant conversation every single week. I did that from April to December last year. The problem is, is, and I'm saying this in quotation marks because it's something that I'm very excited about, but the problem is, The problem is that in January, I started renovating my kitchen. This project, in addition to my exams, internship, master thesis about Ukraine, of course, my work and my attempt to also live a normal youth life has put me in a situation where I cannot publish episodes with the the consistency I want to. Therefore, I'm going to take a break from doing weekly episodes until my new kitchen is finished. Maybe I will publish one or two episodes over the next couple of months. That depends on some very exciting conversation deals I haven't closed yet. The bottom bottom line is, though, that if I cannot do this with the consistency I want to, I would rather take a break and then return once I'm able to do it on a consistent weekly basis again. I would like to use the occasion to share some reflections I've made on some serious problems problems with our collective attitude towards Ukraine and the war in Ukraine. Our, in this case, being the hour that encompasses all of Ukraine's allies. Number one reflection and point where is our sense of urgency what has ukraine said over and over that they need almost more than everything else 150 millimeter artillery shells a very a very basic military component but yet something that plays a huge role in this war right now russia is able to fire 10000 rounds of artillery shells per day per day while Ukraine has to limit itself to only 2,000 rounds per day. This is something that gives Russia a huge advantage on the battlefield. In March 2023, 
EU agreed that Ukraine would receive one, one million rounds of 150mm artillery shells by March this year. Just a few just a few days ago, the EU Foreign Affairs Chief Joseph Borrell confirmed that we would fall short of this promise and only deliver Ukraine 520,000 shells by March, so only half of what we promised. This is not to throw EU under the bus or anything, it's just a very good example of Ukrainian allies falling short of the promises we make about utmost necessary military support because we simply haven't figured out a way to get this delivery done. If the leaders in Europe really think this is a generational fight in the struggle for freedom and democracy, then how come they not have treated this matter with more urgency? To say it bluntly, it is ridiculous and it makes us, and rightly so, look like very, very weak allies who aren't able to protect and help other people wanting the same things we have security, freedom, and democracy. Actually, and this is going to sound crazy, but North Korea is believed to have sent more than 1 million rounds of 100mm artillery shells to Russia, meaning that as of now, North Korea have probably delivered more shells to Russia than all of Ukraine's allies have delivered to Ukraine. Yes, you heard right, fucking North Korea are better at producing and delivering artillery shells to their allies than USA, Britain, France, Germany and so on combined are to their allies. This inability to fulfill our promise speaks volume about a much bigger problem in the grand scheme of things. It shows that we simply are not at the footing we should be when it comes to production capabilities. We have had two years to increase our production of artillery shells and yet and yet North Korea is outperforming us. There is a lot of other things I could point to showing our lack our lacking sense of urgency. One of the most obvious things, however, is the fact that we are still so passive when it comes to sending sending more long range weapons, more tanks, and just even sending fighter jets in the first place to Ukraine. Yes, there are some countries who have shown some willingness in this regard, like my own country Denmark, who are part of a coalition sending F-16s to Ukraine. But collectively, Ukraine's allies are still very much holding on when it comes to sending more advanced long-range weapons, tanks and fighter jets to Ukraine. Once again, if this is really a task we need to solve to create the best foundation for the flourishment of freedom, peace, and humanity, then how come we not see a bigger sense of urgency with regards to actually getting these weapons to Ukraine? So that was the first reflection and point. Now to the second one. We need to get over the perpetual convenient excuses for not helping Ukraine. First of all, what do I mean when I say convenient ex excuses? It's very simple, actually. Convenient excuses for not helping Ukraine are all the excuses you see and hear. 
when politicians, diplomats, experts, journalists, institutions, NGOs, and so on are using arguments as to not help Ukraine that only work as arguments because they are predicated on the fact that status quo in parliaments and international political institutions are set in stone and therefore cannot be changed. We saw a clear example of that recently with the meetings from December to February in the European Council about fundings to Ukraine. Now, fortunately, in the beginning of February, the European Council ended up agreeing on the 54 billion euros funding package for Ukraine, which is massively important. However, the whole process of getting these funds to Ukraine reveals some massive problems in the way we are able or rather unable to envision a clear path forward in our strategy for supporting Ukraine in such a way that Ukraine can win this war by taking control of all internationally recognized Ukraine. It reveals it reveals these problems because when it became clear that Hungary and Open tended to use its veto to block funds for Ukraine for as long as possible, the conclusion you would hear when speaking to almost any politician, diplomat, expert and so on was that now our financial to our financial support to Ukraine hangs in the balance of Orban getting to accept this plan. That's not true and nor was it ever true. The only reason one could say this is that as of now EU funding to Ukraine is a part of the EU budget which all members i.e. all member countries need to agree on before it can become reality. There are several of things here that doesn't add up. First of all, if the EU members really think that support for Ukraine is uttermost essential to win a generational struggle for freedom and democracy, then why, really why, should we accept that due to a legal technicality within the EU framework, a country like like Hungary that is basically allied to Russia can block and postpone support for Ukraine. But it's the treaties it but it is the treaties, Emil, is what my fellow students of political theory would then say. It says that the that in the European Council all members have veto rights on such question. Well, alright then, but if a country so vehemently uh, is opposing all the values of the EU, which is what Hungary is doing, then why don't we just kick them out of the club so that they cannot obscure the efforts we're trying to undertake in the name of democracy and freedom? Well, that's because it's also in the treaties that no member can be excluded, is what my fellow students would then say. Well, I mean... I suppose that the countries who wrote the treaties can, if they really wanted to, either change the treaties or add new articles to the treaties, which would enable us to enforce tougher consequences, for uh, for example, expulsion of a country, if they constantly breach the values. When I say this, when I say this, the the answer then becomes hesitant and eventually my fellow students and other people have to say, yes, 
that is actually also an an opportunity. It is possible that the EU member countries could get together and say, all right, right now our legal framework doesn't work in a way that is enabling us to act upon a clear strategy towards helping Ukraine. We could change the treaties. It's all about political will. And that exactly that is the point. The only reason that this aid package was blocked and delayed for so long is not that Hungary was opposed to it. Yes, it was also because of that, but the only but only because of the legal framework of the EU. So really the reason for this postponement uh, which will cost Ukrainian lives is that the EU framework doesn't provide possibility for quick decisive action if agreement if disagreements erupts which is something that could easily be changed. That's why pointing to Hungary being the reason for the postponement for the postponement of the funding to Ukraine is a convenient argument. It's simply not true. And we see this problem occurring all around. Like, oh, I'm not so sure it's a good idea delivering uh, our fighter jets to Ukraine, um, even though we doesn't use them anymore. It takes way too much practice and exercise before they can be used probably. And NATO and our de- defense is just not geared to doing this training and sending these jets. Well, so fucking what? If it takes a lot of training and practice in F-16s before Ukrainian pilots will be able to use them effectively on the battlefield, then that should only be an argument for sending them faster. It's not the opposite way. Why are we still talking about these things in those ways? I just don't get it. We need to change this. Now to number three. Deterioration works and, and I'm sorry for the yeah the pronouncement here but the third point is the third point and reflection is that deterioration and uh, that deterioration works it worked 2000 years ago it worked during the Roman peace during the British British peace it worked before World War II it worked during the Cold War and it also works now how many illegal military incursions have Russia committed in, neighb- in neighbor countries since the collapse of the USSR? They've attacked Moldova tra- twice, Georgia repeatedly, Ukraine in 2014 and 2022. And if I'm not mistaken, mistaken, this is in no way this is in no way near in covering all of Russia's military incursions in neighboring countries. What does all of these countries have in common? Yes, yeah, that's right, you guessed it. None of them are NATO members. None of them are members of the alliance, which committed cause is to deter hostile powers like Russia from attacking any any member country because that would activate NATO Article 5 and thereby send Russia to war with all of NATO's members. Another thing to keep in mind here is the fact that funnily enough the only neighbor countries whose politics Russia hasn't meddled with since the end of the Cold War are all the countries that eventually decided to join NATO and was allowed to join. If you 
add two and two together, you start to see a pattern. Neighboring country to Russia, not a member of NATO equals you get invaded. Neighboring country that are a member of NATO equals you don't get in, you don't get invaded, at least not yet. To this point, our whole effort of supporting Ukraine can actually can actually be seen as one big litmus test of whether or not we are able to deter Russia, China, and so on from starting World War Three. That's how it is, unfortunately. Every time USA, Germany, and France is holding back on certain weapons because they fear them to be escalatory, every time we fail um, with our artillery uh, shelves promises because of lack of production cap- capabilities, it sends a sign to Russia. First of all, it sends the sign that we are not 100% committed in our efforts to help Ukraine, Ukraine because some of uh, the most important allies of Ukraine are still falling short on these essential questions, which then in turn emboldens Russia to keep pushing on in Ukraine because they feel they don't really need to fear the consequences of doing so. Beyond Ukraine, it also emboldens Russia to strike elsewhere and in a not so far uh, and 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 maybe this could oh sorry sorry i'm losing track a bit here but the point is that this also emboldens uh, russia to do military incursions beyond ukraine and maybe in a not so distant future it can possibly even embolden russia to attack one of the baltic nato countries simply because they don't feel that this would be met with the consequences that they should feel it will be met by. That is just how the world works, and it was always like that. What did Germany and the Soviet Union do in the 30s when they started to feel sure about the lack of consequences if they were to invade their neighbor countries? Well, they then started to invade their neighbor countries, Germany first in 1938, and then the Soviet Union followed suit and invaded Finland and the Baltic countries in 1939. So, in short, deterioration works, and we better start realizing that and then act on that realization. This we actually need to realize and do if we want to do our bit in preventing World War Free from happening. Now to reflection and point number four. Elections are coming up everywhere. Now, I don't want to make this point too long, but the thing is that 2024 is an extraordinary year because of the number of elections that there will be among Ukraine's allies. Of course, the most important election to be aware of is the U.S. elections in November. That goes without saying. There will also be elections for the EU Parliament in June. This election does not carry the same substantial weight as the U.S. election does, but it will for sure be important to follow the amount of votes parties either 
permitted to support Ukraine or the opposite will receive in that election. In Germany, there are three very important state elections that will give us a good picture about the strength of the far-right far movement in Germany. Now, I hate the far-right and left. I know I make no distinctions there, but as of now, one of the most threatening forces in terms of support for Ukraine is the far-right movement in Germany. So very important to see how they fare in these elections. Besides that, we have elections in Belgium, the Czech Republic, local local elections in Ukraine, in, in UK, and so on. So yeah, for, just follow all these elections if you have the time. Now to point number five, volunteer yourself for Ukraine. All right. I really want to make this short because I don't want to make uh, this episode much longer. So this will just be a short final point. However, if you really care about Ukraine and think that Ukrainian Ukrainian victory is a prerequisite for the future flourishment of humanity, freedom and peace, you should spend some of your time volunteering for Ukraine in one way or another. The easiest thing you can do is to reach out to anyone you might know who is already volunteering in in some capacity. If if that's not the case, I suggest you sign up for a political party and start pulling that party in a more Ukraine-friendly way. If that's not your cup of tea, I suggest reaching out to local organizations in your community that works for Ukraine. This could be a regular organization, an NGO, or a student organization, for example. There is lots of possibilities, and the more people that decide to volunteer themselves for Ukraine, the more likely it is that politicians will also want to increase their support for Ukraine. This point differs a bit from the others, but the reason I'm mentioning it is that I sense a sort of general unwillingness in spending time volunteering for Ukraine or a sort of incapacity to do so because many people may want to help but don't know where to start. All right, that was some reflections from my side. I want to iterate that I'm only taking a break from doing weekly episodes until my new kitchen is finished. I will probably get back to doing weekly episodes in around two to three months time. In the meantime, Slava Ukraini, yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever.